Thank you for downloading the Barbecue Central Show. The Barbecue Central Show is supported in part by these great sponsors. The Barbecue Guru, makers of automatic pit temperature control devices and barbecue pits. Their website is thebbqguru.com. Also, Butcher Barbecue, maker of injections, rubs, and sauces. Their website is butcherbbq.com. And by Big Papa Smokers, your one-stop online shop for anything in the barbecue and grilling industry to include world championship winning rubs. Their website, bigpapasmokers.com. And by Cookshack, maker of pellet and electric cookers. You can visit them at cookshack.com. Also, Chops Power Injector System. Three different size injectors to choose from. Find out more at barbecuekansascity.com, and that's barbecue, B-A-R-B-E-Q-U-E. And by Pit Barrel Cooker, one of the most unique and versatile cookers out there on the market. Visit them at pitbarrelcooker.com. And by Smithfield, the biggest name in pork, bringing you great opportunities this barbecue season. Get Smokin' with Smithfield and their grant program and committed cooks program. Learn more at smokinwithsmithfield.com. And by Green Mountain Grills, some of the finest pellet cookers on the market. Their website, greenmountaingrills.com. Also by Cookin' Pellets, manufacturer of wood pellets to fire wood pellet cookers. Their website is cookinpellets.com. You can also purchase on Amazon.com as well. John Dawson of Patio Daddio Barbecue in Boise, Idaho, and I've got it locked on the 50,000 gigawatt blowtorch of the internet that is Barbecue Central. We'll do it live. Okay. Well, do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike the match, and... Oh. Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. All right, good evening, and welcome to the really big Barbecue Central Show. This is the show that talks about all things important in the world of barbecue and grilling. We do it each week, starting out live, that's right, from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio. This is the barbecue capital of the North Coast. I am your program host, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you aboard here on your Tuesday evening. Should you see fit, I am more than happy to have you either lob a phone call, rip off an email, but if you don't know the contact information, I can help you out with that. You can get in touch with the show by calling 216-220-0966. Email Greg at the BBQCentralShow.com. On the Twitter and Instagram, at BBQ Central Show. Anything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com. And here's what's happening, in case you didn't get the newsletter. It is the third Tuesday of the month. That's right, the month of September rapidly coming to a close. Hell, the year of 2017 rapidly coming to a close, and the third Tuesday of each month. Brings none other than a visit from Barbecue Hall of Famer, 
prolific, perhaps the most prolific cookbook, barbecue, live fire cooking writer of all time. He is a TV show host. He is a co- uh, a cooking <laughs> he is a cooking class instructor as well at the Broadmoor. We're going to be talking about that. It's none other than Stephen Reichlin joining me on the show. Stephen Reichlin at nine thirty five because the steak competition cook off scene is blowing up the likes perhaps nobody even expected. So we're doing a monthly visit with the guy that founded that as well at 9.35, Brett Galloway from the State Cook-Off Association. We will get a recap of all of the big events that have transpired since last month. We'll take a look ahead at the big events that are coming up over the next three to four weeks. And we'll also look at new trends and some other items. Maybe squirrel. That seems a little out of place when I talk about State Cook-Off Association, but it may or may not fit in. That's Brett Galloway, 935, and then we'll move on to the second hour. And joining me then is somebody who has experienced a tremendous amount of success here over the last two contests, maybe three contests. Actually, I think if you look back, you could say he's won three out of the last five competitions. And you have to factor in the American Royal Invitational slash Open, which is actually two over the course of the weekend. So I believe... In a technical sense, three out of the last five he's won. He's won two in as many outings. We could say that's back-to-back, I guess. By the way, preemptive or a a premature drum roll there. Owner of one of the most recognizable names as far as I'm going to Kansas City, what barbecue restaurant should I hit up? This one is always in the mix. I've been there. I've experienced it. I can attest to the fact that this is probably the first one you're going to want to hit up. It's Joe Pierce and Slaps. Squeal like a pig. That's the acronym. S-L-A-P. Slaps barbecue. Squeal like a pig. Joe Pierce, 1014. Looking forward to talking to him about the recent competition success, but also the restaurant success. Also, you see him on television because he's the Kansas City Heinz sauce creator, him and his brother. So look forward to that. Then we will close the show, I think. He hasn't been in substantial amount of contact here over the last eh, 10, 11 hours, but I'm sure he is going to be there. We lost him last week because, well, I didn't know if you knew about it, folks, but there was a hurricane Uh-oh. out there in the Florida area reaching up into the greater Georgia and Southern Carolinas. It was a pretty big thing called Irma. Remember that? He was affected to a large degree, but now he's back up and running this week, so I told him we would reboot him. Beer expert, Centralite, Matt Booer. We will learn about beers and popular styles and all that good stuff, so stay tuned for that at the end of the show, 1035. A little bit of everything for everybody. Stephen Reichlin, Brett Galloway with the State Cook-Off Association, Joe Pierce from Slaps, Matt Booer with Beer. How do you like it? 216-220-0966. Greg at the BBQCentralShow.com. Don't forget to send everybody to the Facebook for live feed. Also, Roku, OutdoorCookingChannel.com carries the show live as it has for the longest number of years running, like 10 at least. So that's the way to find the show. Audio only, the BBQCentralShow.com. There is this 
news report coming out of the Toledo area, and I want to thank Kevin Palut. Oh, sorry, Kevin. I'm going to butcher your last name. Kevin Plowecki. Plowecki? Sorry, Kevin. Again, Toledo Highway. Woman found guilty of tossing out hot grill onto another at a cookout. A Toledo woman was accused of throwing a hot charcoal grill at another woman who entered an Alfred. Sorry. Let me try again. A Toledo woman accused of throwing a hot charcoal grill at another woman entered an Alfred plea was found guilty this past Tuesday of attempted felonious assault. Tanya Craig, 32, of the 700th block of North Erie Street, faces up to three years in prison when she is sentenced September. Well, she's going to be sentenced tomorrow at a Lucas County Common Pleas judge, Linda Jennings. Prosecutor said Craig had a disagreement with Sharita Crumbie and threw the grill at her. At a May 29th cookout, the victim suffered burns from hot charcoal. What are you people doing? Throwing lit grills at each other? Disagreement or not? It's a bad idea. And it's bad news. How about this? A Barbecue Central Show exclusive news update. Greg Rempe at the breaking news desk here in Cleveland, Ohio for the Barbecue Central Show. This Written by Doug Tratner, just recently posted on my Facebook page, entitled, This is a Game Changer, Michael Simon says, of Impossible Burger, now offered at B-Spot locations, Dateline Eaton, which is Chagrin, which is Beechwood, pretty much, for all you non-Clevelanders. The last time Michael Simon sounded this excited on the phone was in the wake of winning a James Beard Award, not surprisingly. His excitement centered around a burger, but shockingly... This wasn't a beef burger that he was going on and on about. It was a plant-based burger. In a quote, in 10 years of eating non-meat burgers, I've never experienced anything like this, Simon said. This is a total game changer, close quote. The burger in question is the Impossible Burger, developed by a Silicon Valley-based team of scientists, engineers, chefs, and farmers. Unlike your typical veggie burger, which is usually created by mashing and mixing various legumes, nuts, mushrooms, and vegetables into a dry, disappointing patty, the Impossible Burger employs a high-tech process to recreate the look, feel, and, yes, flavor of real ground beef. When Tracy DeJardis asked me if I was willing to give him a try, I said, sure, but I'm so skeptical on these kind of things, Simon explains. She said, great, I'm hopping on the next plane out. And I'm bringing you some. I told her, man, you must really be confident in these burgers. Not only was Simon impressed, but he immediately agreed to place them on the menu at B-Spot. At present, B-Spot restaurants are the only restaurant that offer these burgers in the Midwest. At Simon's urging, I headed to B-Spot to eat today for lunch and decided on two Thin Lizzies. One made up with the Impossible Burger for just shy of 10 bucks, and the other one with standard high-quality ground beef at $9.00. On paper, I ordered the two burgers so I could do a side-by-side comparison. To be completely honest, I ordered the regular beef burger as a backup in case I didn't like the vegetarian patty. The secret ingredient in these plant burgers, which are largely comprised of wheat, potatoes, and coconut oil, is heme, the iron-containing molecule found in red meat, but also found in plants. But rather than pluck plants from the earth to source it, these guys force yeast cells to produce it for them. Like Simon, Doug Tratner was blown away with the burger covered in onions, melted cheese, pickles, likely won't have known if it was beef or not had I not ordered it myself. 
These burgers aren't designed for vegans. They are for meat lovers who maybe want to feel a little bit better about their carbon footprint without sacrificing flavor. They have zero cholesterol. They also boast more protein, less fat, fewer calories, 80-20 ground beef. I'm never going to stop eating beef, but it's nice to have the option to go this route if I feel like it, Simon says. I will be going there perhaps this Friday to check out the plant burger, and I will be reporting. I'm going to talk to Stephen Reichlin about that plant-based burger, too. Now it's kind of a hot topic as I'm breaking news here on the show, as usual. Folks, if you're looking to turn up the heat on your barbecue skills this summer, you're going to need to get your hands on the most advanced ceramic cooker and high-tech barbecue accessory to hit the market today. Of course, I'm talking about the all-new Monolith Barbecue Edition, Guru and CyberQ Cloud. Just launched recently by the Barbecue Guru, the world's first temperature-controlled ceramic smoker grill. With a built-in power draft fan, it's going to give you the easiest and most successful barbecue experience to date. These must-have new products will make barbecuing easier than ever before and will be your new secret weapon for cooking delicious food each and every time. Ready to buy? Of course you are. Head on over to bbqguru.com and grab them up while they last. If you have any questions about what to order, please call them, 800-288-GURU. That's 800-288-GURU. They will make sure you're outfitted with exactly what you need to get you up and running right out of the box. Again, the website is bbqguru.com. And again, if you've been looking at ceramic cookers and you haven't been sold on one and you know you're going to want an automatic pit temperature control device in one, this one has the whole thing already built into the bottom of the cooker. You don't need to worry about putting on any modifications or inserts or whatever on the very bottom so you can make sure that you fit the fan in there like you do on a lot of these other ones. The technology is already built in there. So to that point, if you already have an automatic pit temperature control device from the Barbecue Guru, you can just hook it right up to this fan and that's it. It's got a great little mounting device there over on the Nest. They have thought of everything. Plus it comes with a load of accessories. You got to check it out. At least check it out before you buy anything else. Automatic controller in, well, not the controller, but the fan built into the cooker. Just get the controller, you're set. It runs on any type of controller, by the way. Again, the website, bbqguru.com, the number 800-288-GURU. The Barbecue Guru continues to be a breakthrough in barbecue technology. And we will step away real quick, load, hopefully, Stephen Reichlin, Barbecue Hall of Famer, and we'll be back right after this. Live from the Barbecue Central Radio Network Studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Radio Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rampey. The 2017 Grant Program was a raging success this past season. So, if you want your event to be considered for 2018... 
Head to smokinwithsmithfield.com right now and apply for the 2018 grant program. Applications are being taken until October 25th, so time is running out. Don't miss out. Again, that's smokinwithsmithfield.com to apply for the 2018 grant program. Very exciting. All right, my first guest can be seen here the third Tuesday of each month, a 2015 Barbecue Hall of Fame inductee, a TV show host, the barbecue cooking class instructor, one of the most prolific barbecue cookbook writers of all time. Let's go ahead and race to the hotline. And welcome back, Stephen Reichlin, to the show. So I know you've been busy with the new book. Last book was Project Smoke, obviously, to kind of support the TV show Project Smoke, which we all love, of course. The new book that we've been talking about here over the last couple of visits is Project Fire. That's due out in 2018 at some point. And I'm wondering, you know, how the book is developing, and it's kind of neat to be able to talk to you and see how this is all unfolding in front of us and get that little behind-the-look or behind-the-curtain view. What are you up to with the book? Well, last week was really exciting. Uh, We had a 10-day photo session at a farm in the Hudson Valley just north of New York City. Same photographer, Matthew Benson, who uh, shot Project Smoke and Barbecue Sauces, Rubs, and Marinades. Same wonderful food stylist, Nora Singley. Many of you have, you have watched her at work in the uh, Project Smoke TV show. And, you know, for me, it is an absolutely magical moment. You spend a year writing a book, uh, you do the recipes, you write the text, you think about the concept, and then you go into a studio, you watch somebody else cook your food, and you watch a <laughs> photographer and a stylist put it all together. And it was, uh, it's really exciting. It brings it alive. So it's exciting in that aspect, but do you ever concern yourself with average Joe or John or Mary is going to get this cookbook and they're going to see these great, fabulous, stylized pictures and then maybe theirs doesn't turn out so good and there might be any type of like, oh, why does it mine look like that or why can't I make it look just like that? Or do you, do you ever have that internal struggle? You know, I don't think so. I mean, first of all, a picture set speaks a thousand words. If you see what the result uh, is supposed to look like, that helps you get there a lot quicker than you know the most brilliant prose that I could write. Uh, there are a lot of how-tos in the book, and I think there's an aspirational quality. I think we all have a tendency to eat with our eyes as well as our palates. You know, I have never in 30 years of book writing ever had a comment saying, "Gee, your food looks too pretty. I can't make mine look this way." Well, on the contrary, I think you know it just spurs people to. Uh, to, to kind of raise their own level of excellence. Aside from the due out in 2018, is there any type of a more tactile time frame that we can nail down? Uh, yeah, I believe that uh, we're scheduled to ship in late April, and the books will be in the bookstores uh, by May 1st. All right, and I'm sure they'll be and, the... Yeah, if you visit the website. I mean, we'll certainly have more details on that as we get closer. All right, Stephen Reichlin joining me here on the show. Stephen, also released recently is that ever popular and going on which seems probably like 60 years now the barbecue university and you have dates that are released for 2018 so for the folks that aren't familiar with barbecue university a little thumbnail sketch on that and then what the dates are so imagine a summer camp for adults who love to grill but held at a really luxurious resort in the uh in the foothills of the rockies in colorado springs that's barbecue university 
going on our 15th year now uh, at the Broadmoor, and then I did it before at another resort back east. Uh, really fun program. This year, not surprisingly, the theme of the uh, class will be Project Fire. Uh, we'll be doing a big emphasis uh, on grilling, uh, continued emphasis on smoking, a lot of alternative grilling methods. Uh, it's really all going to be all about flames and fire. You know, by the way, just want to give you an example of sort of some of the magic that happens during the photo shoot of a book like Project Fire. Mm -hmm. So one of the recipes I'm doing is called Mussels Grilled in Hay, where you basically fill a grill wok with dry hay, mussels go on top of it, super high heat, the hay catches fire, smokes the mussels as they open. Absolutely fabulous. And in the recipe, I called for doing it in melted butter. Well, while we were on the set, I had this idea. What if I took a live charcoal and I dunked it in the butter and kind of created hot charcoal-flavored melted butter. So we did that for the shoot. We tasted Everybody uttered a great aha. And, uh, you know, just a way that kind of running through this, like um, I guess you could almost call it like a rehearsal on stage, just uh, gives you some, some really cool ideas that then will find their way into the book. This was a hot charcoal or an unlit charcoal? Hot charcoal, lit charcoal. Grabbed it right out of a chimney starter. Right in the butter. You're really into the hay smoke. I love hay smoke. I like pine smoking. Um, pine you know, smoking? I like smoke. Pine, you know, pine needles, spruce needles are great. Uh, cool thing when you're grilling a steak, you cook it about three quarters of the way through. Last 30 seconds, you slap down a fresh spruce branch on the grill, then put the steak on top of it. The spruce needles catch fire, releasing all this amazing spruce smoke, spruce oils that mingle with the meat juices. I, I love that kind of stuff. You know, I'm always looking like to just take it one, just around the next corner, you know, what, one notch higher. I ask because I don't know, but obviously any type of a, of a pine wood, you would never smoke with that. It's a soft wood. It's, it's unhealthy. But taking uh, the needles and, and throwing that on and whatever, because those pop and they're all kind of magical oh. when the fire bursts. That, that, that's safe? Uh, it's safe. It's amazing. It's delicious. And by the way, about, you know, one of the things I love in this field is that sort of for every rule or common, uh, common acceptance, there's always a, a, a um, contrary example. And in Germany, uh, actually around the Nuremberg area, they grill um, bratwurst over a pine cone fire. So uh, that's kind of another way to work the forbidden pine into your grilling. Have you used pine cones before like that? Or just for sausage. Hmm. You know, part of the problem is you need a real a lot of pine cones to build a big enough fire uh, to grill over. Let me track back to the hay because you're really the only person I have access to that has really worked with hay. You've seen it on yeah. your television shows here over the last couple yeah. seasons. What kind of a flavor is it imparting? And I guess more importantly, and we go back to the safety thing here, can you do you have to go somewhere to buy? like sterile hay or sanitized hay or something along these lines? Or can you just use any hay that you get your hands on? Two super excellent questions, and I'll add a third one. First of all, with regards to the flavor, it's a light herbaceous smoke flavor. In the same family as wood, but much lighter, much more herbal flavored. Uh, one of the advantages of smoking with hay is you get huge, enormous pungent clouds of smoke in a matter of two or three minutes. So if you're smoking something uh, that is prone to melting with exposed heat like mozzarella, it's a great way to smoke mozzarella. Mm. Uh, in fact, 
you'll find that recipe in Project Smoke. Uh, one thing you have to be careful of is it's sort of putting a patina of smoke on the outside. Uh, so if you grab that mozzarella with your fingers right after smoking, the smoke will come off on your fingers. Uh, in terms of hay, I usually get it from a tack shop uh, up in Martha's Vineyard. We have a lot of horse farms, so that's not a problem. I know we're going to get a zillion emails about, well, what you were really using is straw, not hay. <laughs> Let's see. If I remember correctly, uh, you know what? I'm going to let one of your readers uh one of your uh, viewers chime in, but one is a grass, one is fed to animals, and the other is used for bedding for animals. Obviously, we're using clean hay, however we go. Uh, Stephen Reichland joining me here on the show. So, not to depart quickly from talking about hay, because I could probably spend the whole segment on that, because it absolutely fascinates me, plus it really also cool. scares me. Um, you are big in the French world. Stephen, for all those that don't know, as big as you are here in the States... Maybe you're as big or bigger in, in the, uh, the French-speaking regions of, uh, of the world. And now you're taking on part of my heritage. Well, technically I'm Sicilian, but Italian television. You have a new show coming up here a little bit later in the year. So talk to me about, is it kind of like the same Stephen Reichland live fire cooking and grilling and barbecuing, or are you doing something to match that whole situation out there and that like i have no aside from what we just kind of generically know from italy i would love to know what you're looking at attacking in an italian form of stephen reichel well uh great question i'm super excited about it so uh in italy there is a food network it's called gambaro rosso and i'll be creating an original show the premise of the show is that i will travel around italy I will experience Italian grilling in Alba, in Venice, in the Veneto, in the Lago di Garda, in Tuscany, in Florence, all over northern Italy for the first season. And that'll be the first half of the show, my meeting grill, Italian grill masters and seeing their stuff. And then we have rented a villa in Tuscany. And the second half of the show will be a sort of a similar to a Project Smoke, Project Fire I will grill my, I will create my own versions of Italian grilling with the Stephen Reichland American twist. It'll be integrated into the show. So think of it as sort of bicultural uh, barbecue uh, diplomacy, uh, a great journey of adventure and discovery for me. And also, I hope that I will bring some, uh, some great American grilling and barbecue ideas to Italy. Have you ever been on television out there before? Uh, you know, I have. And it was uh, actually a fairly grisly experience. Uh, when uh, Barbecue Babe Bible came out in Italian, the first time I was invited on Gambaro Rosso, uh, I was told, don't worry, we'll, have, uh, we'll do a simultaneous translation for you, because at the time I didn't know any Italian. And then, boom, the lights went up, the cameras went on, no translator, uh -oh. everybody talking to me in Italian. Uh, and I, I, I punted as best I could with uh, sort of trying to match French and, uh, and uh, mix French and Spanish. But I have been studying Italian, so I think I'd be much better prepared this time. I mean, you are a fluent French speaker, correct? That is correct. Are you piecework on the Italian? Like you would be able to, if, if, you, if the same thing were to happen as you lead up with hype segments in Italy, would you be able to muddle your way through a, a similar yeah, situation I, at this I, point? Yeah, I'll be able to muddle my way through, wow. absolutely. Right. Uh, we're actually going to be taping most of the show in English because uh, – the plan is to sell it throughout Europe, and it's easier to sell an English language show 
to other countries in Europe than it is Italian. But I do plan to do my intros and outros in Italian. I, uh, every day I go for my, for, on a bike ride from, uh, from 5.30 to 6.30 in the morning, and I listen to Italian tapes. I've been doing it for about six months. So, uh, you know, if you spend a little time every day, you can really make some pretty good progress. By See, the way, I love the way you said uh, my family is Sicilian, correct. not Italian, <laughs> because in Sicily, they are definitely Sicilians first and Italians second. That's right. That's a whole different country out there. Um, Stephen Reichlin joining me here on the show. We, you and I, are both fans of, and we've talked about it a little bit here on the show over the past uh, number of visits, plancha cooking. You have an art flame. I have an art flame. When I was at the Hearth Patio and Barbecue Expo in Atlanta earlier in the year, I saw three or four different plancha-style grills or cookers or however you name them, just planches. Do you think that this is a phase that will continue to gain popularity or do you think within a year or so unless you're kind of in a region that really appreciates that kind of cooking it'll maybe die off a little bit i think the planche is only going to get bigger and stronger and the reason is is that it's a great way to cook many foods i mean first of all there's certain foods you can't cook on a grill much as you would like to uh soft very Fragile fish like sole or flounder. I mean, you can't do those on a grill. They, you can. You can do them in a grill basket, but it's difficult. Uh, the plancha is great for vegetables. Uh, plancha is great for small things like face scallops. And I have a little twist. I do use my plancha on a charcoal grill. Uh, for anybody just fresh listening, imagine sort of a rectangular cast iron skillet with no sides. That's what a plancha is. But what I like to do is I'll cook on the plancha. I'll throw wood chips on the coals through the side baskets, then cover the lid. So I'm smoking as well as plancha griddling. It's a great, great uh, technique to work on together. And in fact, on my bigger grills, I actually keep a plancha on one side, and I often will go back and forth between the plancha and the fire. For the people that might find some of the more unique plancha cookers a little out of the budget range, which I can certainly appreciate, you also have an option for, uh, let's say, the the more a frugal plancha grill. Well, absolutely. I mean, if you've got a cast iron skillet, you've got a plancha. You know, uh, I ma- I make a best of barbecue plancha. I I don't know. I think we're about thirty bucks for the plancha. You know, I think that's a reasonably priced accessory. Uh, but if you don't have a cast iron skillet, it works great. By the way, if I can mention another technique that I've been kind of playing with for the new uh, book, uh, I call it foil pan grilling. Mm. And, you know, most people put, uh, put a foil pan between the coals under the grate to catch the drippings. I'll often, if I'm roasting uh, potatoes or carrots or Brussels sprouts, I'll place them in the pan, plenty of fat, directly over the fire so the pan's acting a little bit like a plancha or a skillet then once again that handful of coals uh, a handful of wood chips on the coals generating wood smoke it's a fantastic way to cook hash browns to cook you're going to do let's say buffalo brussels sprouts i mean you know I, I think for me what it is i've been grilling for a long time i've written about conventional grilling for a long time so this new project fire uh, book and tv show they're really going to be about kind of pushing your grill further, alternative methods to do on the uh, grill. Stephen, we've got about a minute left, and I just did a story in the open. And I've been tracking this growth here over the last 
seven, eight, nine months on another podcast that I do for somebody else. And it's this introduction of plant-based burgers, not veggie burgers that everybody kind of knows about and poo-poos, but this, these are potato and weed and coconut oil-based, but then they also have heme that is in these burgers to kind of give it that meat feel and that meat look and the whole meat experience, except it's not meat. Impossible Burger is the one that I was talking about in the beginning of the segment uh, of the show, and I was wondering what you know about it and if you think this is something that really might start to take off. Well, it's funny you mentioned that. It reminds me of a recipe I did in a book a million years ago back about when I was writing about healthy food, and it was a beet burger, and you grated uh, beets into uh, basically a veggie burger, and it came out looking blood red like a burger. Um, you know, I think anything that gets us eating more vegetables is great. I think anything that gets us eating more plant foods is great. Will it ever replace a juicy beef burger? No. Uh, is it a great adjunct? You know, if you want to eat more healthily every once in a while, absolutely. Well, I'm very excited that I'm going to be going to this place because uh, Michael Simon's restaurant, this burger joint called the B Spot out here in the Cleveland area, is the only place in the Midwest that has access to these impossible burgers. And uh, myself and my wife and maybe a couple of our friends are going to be going out there Friday night to take in these plant burgers. So I will report back to you and let you know what I think. I would love to do that and say hi to, say hi to Michael for me. All right. See I will absolutely do that. It's Stephen Reichlin. You can find him here on the third Tuesday of every month. Always appreciate the time, Stephen. Thanks so much. You too. Thanks, Greg. There he is, Stephen Reich. Of course, I don't have the guests on the Barbecue Central show (laughs) appear via the Smithfield Hotline. Everybody's everybody's like, oh, did he just say tell Michael Simon he says hi? I mean, no, he's not. I could send Michael Simon an email and tell him that I'm going to be at his B spot in Eaton Friday night to have some of the impossible burgers, and I guarantee he is he's not coming. If he didn't show for Doug Tratner, he's in New York City filming the chew or whatever he does. Folks, right now the NBBQA has the 2015, 16, and 2017 barbecue tool of the year locked up. It's the Chops Power Injector System. The number one seller is the half-gallon Chops Power Injector System designed for competitions or to pump up the backyard warrior. So easy to use. Clean it, fill it, pump it, and away you go. If you have just one brisket or pork shoulder to do, you don't need to fill it all the way up. Just put in what you need. It uses it all. It comes with 14-gauge needles, two replacement plastic needle adapters, three plug screws, and a needle protector. It's 100 bucks plus you pay shipping. The one-gallon Chops Power Injector System is designed for catering and bigger jobs. It holds double the amount of the half-gallon. Some use it in competition, like when you cook MBN whole hog or 10 shoulders to get that perfect one. It comes with a whole bunch of cool stuff. It's $120 plus you pay shipping anywhere. The newest one is the Chops Full Power Injector System. It's electric. It's the commercial and competition Big Daddy. It's not a holding tank this time, but a three and a half foot pickup tube. You can put it in any size container, from a few ounces to a 55-gallon drum. It was designed for Chef Rob at one of the best restaurants in Kansas City. And he has said time and time again that with the Chops Full Power Injector System, his briskets are better than ever. It comes with metal needle adapters, a bunch of different gauge needles, needle protectors, $325 plus shipping anywhere. 
A number of the top pitmasters in the world use the CPI system to make their barbecue better than the rest. Here's the deal. We live in a foodie world that now requires flavor in every bite. This is how you do it and do it fast. You can also inject alcohol into fruit. It's not just for meat. Versatility. Every injector hand-assembled right there in Kansas City, Missouri, USA. If you want extra accessories, they got them. You want to shoot medium ground spices, they got you covered for that. Here's what I suggest. Head on over to the website, Barbecue Kansas City. That's B-A-R-B-E-Q-U-E, barbecuekansascity.com. And check out the CHOPS power injector systems for yourself. You'll be happy that you did. You'll wonder how you got along with one injector. BarbecueKansasCity.com. We are back with the Steak Cook-Off Association. And Brett Galloway right after this. Stick around. Now, let's get back to the LeBron James of Barbecue Talk, Craig Rampey. All right, this portion of the show is being brought to you by Green Mountain Grills. Some of the best pellet cookers out there on the market today. If you're looking for a big cooker to house a lot of food, they got you covered there. If you're looking for something a little bit more medium size, yeah, they can do that. How about something small to take on tailgates? Tailgates are real popular these days. Right in the middle of tailgate, middle, right in the middle of tailgate season. They can supply you with pellets to fire those cookers as well. Check out GreenMountainGrills.com. That's GreenMountainGrills.com. I love my Green Mountain Grill. You can love yours as well. Just visit the website. All right. Steak Cook-Off Association is continuing to gain popularity. That's why the second segment of the third Tuesday of each month brings a visit from one of the co-founders of the Steak Cook-Off Association. That's right. Let's race to the hotline and welcome back, Brett Galloway. Brett, how are you, buddy? Doing good. Having a great day. Good. I uh, appreciate you making time as always, and I know the FCA is growing by leaps and bounds. <laughs> I'm having a tough time with the lips tonight, Brett. I got to be honest. Growing by leaps and bounds. So as we look back over the last, you know, three weeks or so, some of the real big events that took place. Obviously, everyone for you was a real big event, but I'm sure a little bit more marquee than others. But what are some of the big events that have happened here over the last couple of weeks, and real cool things that have happened? Uh, actually, we've had a couple events over one in the Netherlands that turned out very well. A um, guy named Daniel Rader won it. He was with Viking Barbecue. Uh, then the following week in St. Nicholas, which was this week, uh, Marcus Bandoff won. And he's a, he's actually his cooking partner. So both of, them, both of them can cook great steaks. They cook different recipes. They're Actually, they were already qualified for the championship. So it's great when we get the Europe events rolling. Do you find that... There are teams that will work in pairs, and then other times they'll cook separately? Or will they always cook separately, the pairs? Um, usually they're a team until they cook separate, and then uh, egos might take over a little bit, and they cook uh, against each other, and then they just have a blast doing that. Are you finding that to be the case more and more, where you have initially a pair of uh, dudes or gals starting out as a team, and then over a handful of contests, they're like, eh, you should have left it on longer. You should have put butter on this. Uh, well, you do it yourself. And all of a sudden, now it's you know Johnny's team and Mike's team. 
more so the guys, you know, they work together, but once they try it and they, they like the excitement of being the guy behind the spatula, the guy behind the tongs flipping the stakes. And, you know, honestly, a lot of them are just trying to make it to the SCA World Championship. We've got husband and wives that compete now. What does it take to get to the SCA World Championship? Uh, you have to win an SCA sanctioned event anywhere around the world. So our championship's going to have about 115 teams from around the world. Wow. Uh, plus the next 10 in points, which is the next guys that weren't automatically qualified. We still have 10 guys that can come in as a wild card or a at-large bid. So top 10 in points get an automatic bid. Plus if you win an SCA event, you get an automatic bid. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, Brett Galloway. Generally, our guys that are in the top 10, they're automatically qualified because they're the guys that are winning. It's the next 10 that have not automatically qualified. Aha. So talk to me about current standings of the SCA so we can kind of have a working knowledge of who might be on the cusp. All right. We got a, a dead heat coming down there with Dan Judd out of Arkansas. He's got 157 points. And Scott Winley is out of Iowa, and he has 142. Um, it's, it's now double digit. It was single digit before last weekend. Um, but I think this is going to come down to the last weekend. These guys are cooking doubles, trying to beat each other. You know, the winner's going to get a SCA championship ring, points champion ring. Uh, it's over an inch wide, and then they're going to get an 80 quart uh, Pelican cooler. How much money are they going to win? Uh, nothing. <laughs> nothing. Not this year. We're All working right. on that for next year. Got it. Um, so, are are there any people that are in the top ten in points that are also automatically qualified? Or, Everyone or, or in how the top ten are. All the Go top ahead. ten currently in the top. Everybody in the top ten currently is already qualified for SEA finals. That's correct. Wow. So eleven and below are all wondering where they're going to be at then. Yeah. So, you know, most of these guys are going to make it in. Um, it's it's the guys that have not won yet that are really in that next 10 that we're looking at. And they're good cooks. From a trends standpoint, and I know that the SCA isn't decades old and you've seen an incredible amount of evolution, but just from when you had first started the very first SCA event and then you fast forward to where we are here kind of mid-September of 2017. Are you seeing any new trends emerge from when you first started? And then after you answer that, have you seen any new trends even develop just this year? Well, every year, you know, the internet plays a big part of what guys are trying. Um, what, you know, two years ago, what was a hot trend in grilling? The reverse sear? This so, uh, year, that's still pretty popular, right? It is. Or yeah, not in competition. Popular. And there, there's guys winning with the reverse here. Uh, this year, everyone wants to try to sous vide it. Really? Any, yeah. Any fire heat source, you can do it. Wow. So guys will bring their sous vide machines or their uh, Anova jewels that they hang off some Rubbermaid <laughs> container and take it up to 120 degrees or whatever it is, take it out, and then... Okay, I'm going to back up after I just asked this question. So are these guys seasoning the steaks before they put them in the bag and then take them to sous vide temperature before they put them on the grill? I'm not sure. I'm not out on the cook. I'm usually in the judge area at that time. I assume they are. I don't know how they're doing it. I know they slap it on the grill at the end to you know try to get some sear on it. But yeah, because it comes out looking horrifically, painfully ugly when it comes out of the sous vide bag. It's like gray. 
perfectly cooked, but gray. And then they just pretty much flash it on the grill at that point instead of, uh, you know, because a year or two ago they all had their briquettes measured out so they knew the BTUs they were going to get and they had the PK grill and they had the grill grates and it was four minutes on this side, four minutes on that side, boom, done. Well, that is still happening. Those are the guys that are winning. I mean, there's always guys that are going to try something new to try to, you know, I don't know, think they have a better way, but honestly, hot and fast is winning these things. Is it just from, you think the the flavor is still something that you can't compare no matter what other gimmicks you're trying to use at this point? I think you got to get a good sear on there, and I think you need to um, caramelize that meat a little bit. I mean, that's where it's at. One of the things that I think is separating SCA from some of the other events out there is the fact that, well, I mean, it's only one meat, right? You're not doing chicken and some type of a pork or two different kinds of pork and then, you know, the meat. But you have a unique judging criteria where you actually have a visible uh, key for people to look at to measure against is this cooked properly or not. And I don't think anybody else has that out there. I think that really lends a level of consistency. Obviously, when you're dealing with humans, you cannot erase the human element 100%, although we would love to do that. I know KCBS would love to do that and stop hearing about all the bitching and moaning. But you've kind of taken a, a big step to do that because no matter how it looks to you, you open it up, you look at that steak, you look at the key, and if it matches, I mean, you have to score it accordingly. Yeah, you eat with your eyes. And, you know, we have a picture. It's the same picture I get done. I get it at the same Walmart the prints made. Every cook-off uses the exact, exact same one, so it's the same color. Um, you know, if you were to do it to temperature – Depends when you temp that steak, how long they rested it, whether it was going to be the right temperature or not. And with different cooking styles, that can vary greatly. Do you hear any complaining about the judging at all, like you hear in competition barbecue right now? Every now and then, some will talk about, um, I think the big one is overall impression. Because ultimately, that is, now that they've judged the four criteria, how do you feel about the steak? And that can go up and down, depending Sometimes if you have an aftertaste, it can be a little bit lower. Or if that flavor really built on you, it could go a little higher. So it's not necessarily just an average. So what's the amount of time from the initial look, the taste, and then there must be some evaluation time after aftertaste or if a flavor builds for you to give an overall impression score? I mean, each judge is probably done in 25 seconds. Okay, so it's very it's like, quick. It's quick. Yeah, it's quick. and. Usually, it's going to be an average nine out of ten times. The last time you were on, Brett, and we're talking with Brett Galloway from State Cookoff Association, we were talking about an event that you did where it was one of the ancillary category was pork steak. Mm-hmm. What the hell am I looking at with you and squirrel meat? <laughs> what is that? I was asked to be a judge at the World Squirrel Championship. World it was Squirrel in, uh, Championship. Uh, it was where? Yeah, it was. Interesting. Bentonville, Arkansas, the home oh, of Walmart. Yeah, where uh, Sam's Club will be having their national final here in a few short weeks or so. So how good is the National Squirrel Cook-Off? It's a great event. I, it actually exceeded my expectations. What were your expectations? Hello? Expectations. Oh. Sorry, what were, uh, but, cut out right there. What were your expectations going in? I didn't have real high expectations oh, of the okay. food because it was squirrel and I had an eight squirrel. Uh, I was very happy with it. I was 
a lot of these guys were chefs, so it was there was squirrel in the entrees. It wasn't just a you know squirrel. Did you see some of that? Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah, I I did taste a squirrel. What was that? It was a squirrel um, hot dog on a stick. What's that called? Corn dog. Corn dog. That's it. A squirrel corn dog, and actually, it was better than a regular corn dog. So, like, what were the rules? You could just squirrel had to be an ingredient into the dish that you turn in. Yeah, you had to have squirrel. Eighty percent of the protein in the dish had to be a squirrel. So there was gumbos, jambalaya. Mm. Um, There's a little bit of everything. And then, is it currently like uh, consistently whittled down over the course of the day, or everybody you just get fifty turn-ins and you just pick one winner out of fifty, and that's it? Um, we ran two tables. It ran kind of similar to our event. Ran two tables. They went down each, half went down one, half down the other. Um, there was 34 entries. It, it went very smooth. I thought it was a great event. What was the winning dish? Oh, boy. It was uh, macaroni and cheese with uh, squirrel bacon on top. Squirrel then, bacon? Yeah, squirrel bacon. That's what they called it. And then the main entree was a squirrel... It was a pickle stuffed with squirrel, deep fried. Yeah, that's what makes it win. Deep fried squirrel, love it. And <laughs> new ones coming up. We got our first event in California coming up into October. It's um, gonna be the. Uh, man, we're cutting out. Sorry. No, that's all right. I was gonna ask you what some of the. Big events coming up here over the next handful of weeks, sir. Um, October 13th, we have the uh, Orange County Steak Championship. It's our first event in California. We also have a judge class there. And then we have our first event in Alabama coming up, not this weekend, but next weekend in Tuscaloosa. So very excited to be in these new states, and um, hopefully we can uh, spread the love of steak. Are you worried that the government of California is going to pound you because you're going to be uh, lighting charcoals in their state? They're very finicky over there. I am a little worried about that. We actually had our first <laughs> protesters ever. In really? And uh, I sent Phillips out there to talk to him. And by the time Ken got done, either their ears were bleeding because of Ken or they just gave up and went home. Wow. Proto. So they were just like pro uh, pro meat, right? Uh, no, yeah, they they weren't happy that we were cooking meat. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, international stuff, I know you've seen a lot of growth in that respect. Do you have any international events coming up? Uh, we've got two more coming up in the Netherlands. Um, and October 14th, Ken will be in Creekside, Australia. And it, that's our last Australian event for this year. And then next year, we've got two in Aus- three in Australia and one in New Zealand. Wow. You guys are all over the, not only all over the country, but all over the globe. How many events do you have on the docket for 2018 already? If most of them sign up, I think we'll, I've probably got 120 right now, 125. And uh, we should end up about 150 next year. I'm, that's kind of my guess. In total? In total, yeah. How many are you going to do this year, you think? Um, we're going to do 110. Wow. All right. So on track for another growth year for uh, 2018, assuming everybody yep. shows up. That's cool. Uh, Brett Galloway joining me here on the show. Steakcookoffs.com is the place to go. Uh, I would imagine if somebody's interested in trying to find something around them, they just have to go to the website and see where the event schedule is. Yeah, steakcookoffs.com. It's a pretty easy to use website. Just click on events. 
uh, actually, there's a tab for cookers, and that'll bring you to uh, all of our events. It's pretty lined up for the rest of the year. Brett, always appreciate the time. Thanks so much, and we'll do it again next month. Thanks, buddy. Have a great night. There he is, Brett Galloway, State Cook-Off Association. All guests on the Barbecue Central Show appear via the Smithfield Hotline. And the website is steakcookoffsoffs.com. Now, I'm not a competition guy. I cannot talk tonight. I need to reset. Can we do the show over again? Can we start over again? Is that possible? I'm not a competition guy, but I would like to potentially take part in a steak cook-off. I think I cook a pretty good steak, a little different than most. I'm not going to sous vide my steak. Reverse sear, maybe. I can see that. I want to talk to you about Big Papa Smokers, the one-stop online shop for all things barbecue. Their curated selection of only the best outdoor cooking and grilling supplies will get you on the path to better barbecue results in no time. Everything that Big Papa Smokers has for sale has been pitmaster approved by Sterling Big Papa Ball himself. From award-winning rubs and sauces to American-made grills and smokers, Big Papa Smokers has everything you need to be a better outdoor cook. Whether you're in the backyard or a barbecue fanatic competition person, Big Papa's has something for you. Over the past few years, there's a little thing called the West Coast offense that has dominated competition barbecue, cornering the market on the world of competitive barbecue, redefining flavor profiles that competitive cooks from across the country have begun to aim for. Big Papa Smokers also has the online exclusive for Simply Marvelous Rubs. Stop on site, pick up some today. Aside from their premium selection of rubs and sauces, Big Smoker, Big Papa Smokers also offers the very best pellet, charcoal, and wood cookers available today. If you're looking for a versatile smoker that's easy to use, check out the Mac 2-Star General Pellet Grill. Big Papa Smokers is the exclusive Mac dealer and even offers special packages. Not a pellet smoker fan? No problem. Take a look at the Old Hickory Ace BP, the only charcoal smoker that Big Papa trusts to put on his competition barbecue trailer. If you're a backyard barbecue enthusiast looking for a durable and versatile grill that will last forever, the M Grill from Texas is just what you need. They're built like tanks, last generations. Not sure what kind of grill you need? Well, you really can't go wrong with any of the grills or smokers featured on BigPopSmokers.com. They have something for every kind of backyard cook. Check the website and shop their full selection. It's clear that Big Papa Smokers is the place to go for all things barbecue. Every product featured on their website has been hand-selected to help your barbecue better. Boost your barbecue skills with the help of Big Papa Smokers, the number one online store for barbecue stuff. You can call them toll-free at 877-828-0727. That's 877-828-0727. Or shop their website at BigPapaSmokers.com. That's B-I-G-P-O-P-P-A-S-M-O-K-E-R-S, BigPapaSmokers.com. All right, we will get ready to wrap up the second. Oh, I wish. We'll get ready to the, wrap up the first hour. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show right here on the Barbecue Central Network. Stick around. We'll be right back.
Big name interviews, advice on cooking brisket and ribs, and the only host willing to share his honest opinion on all things important in the world of barbecue, it's the Barbecue Central Show. All right, welcome back. This portion is being brought to you by CookinPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets. For all your pellet-driven cookers, visit CookinPellets.com for more information or to purchase. You can also visit Amazon.com to purchase as well. Don't forget that Cooking Pellets has an app that you can download. It will alert you to insane, crazy shipping prices. So take advantage of that as well, CookinPellets.com. Email from John Dawson. Subject line, Peters, uh, pine slash cedar smoke. Rems, ever heard of cedar planked salmon? Yeah. (laughs) Yes, I have. I was talking about pine. I think Steven said something about pine, right? Uh Gotta be careful. Spruce? The spruce is loose, everybody. Big stuff out of here. I just want to make sure that we're giving safe recommendations. You're not going to smoke with pine wood. However, people in Germany are building fires with pine cones, which evidently is okay. You can't... Can you plant a pine cone and then a pine tree grows from that? Is that right? I don't know. I don't know anything about pine other than I would never barbecue with it. Steven also big on the hay. Hey! Has anybody else besides Steven worked with hay? I saw Jason King say, hey, <laughs> not to be redundant. I saw Jason King say, hay has pesticides sprayed all over it. So if you're going to get hay or straw or whatever it is, I think hay is actually what you feed the livestock and straw is what you use for bedding and he probably means straw smoke. Is that right? I think I'm right there too. I'm kind of smart. Straw is what you use for bedding and I think that's what he's using. Hay is what you cut in the field and you roll and you bale it. You know what? I'm no farmer. I don't even know what the hell I'm talking about. That's all right. All right, uh, we're going to step away and reload here for the second hour. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show right here on the Barbecue Central Network. Stick around. Be right back. board here for the really big barbecue show Boing. we cook because we have to and we grill because we want to hit me fine how's it going 
you have a great show. I'm a big fan. Boing. So what 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 seems to be the problem here? This man looks like he's dead, and he's in the in the crackle. Charbono, it's all about the Charbono, dude. Succulent fish, what? He ate fifty four wieners. So listen, Laverne, it's shit face. I'm shaking like a dog shit peach seed. <laughs> we have top men working on it right now. All right, just like that, we are into the second hour. Congratulations, folks. You found the Barbecue Central Show. Happy to have you aboard here. It's the show that talks about all things important in the world of barbecue and grilling. And we do it right here live each and every Tuesday. We'll do it live. That's right. We do it live. Do it live. From the Barbecue Central Radio Network Studios right here in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city, the barbecue capital of the North Coast. Cleveland, Ohio. We do it live. We do it live. That's right. We do it live. Thank you, Bill. Still to come on the show tonight, Joe Pierce. He'll be joining me next segment. And beer expert Matt Boer, plus Loyal Central Life. The National Pro Barbecue Tour presented by Sam's Club rolled into Madison, Wisconsin this past weekend. This was a regional final that sends the top 10 teams to Bentonville, Arkansas. Those teams are grand champion moving on with a 685.1 Lucky 19 Sauce Company. Reserve grand champion. Richard Parker, IBQing at the BBQSuperstore.com. 685.10. Wow, four hundredths of a point. Ooh, that is close. Third place, Mac Attack Barbecue. Fourth place, Thunderhog Barbecue. Fifth place, Porky Butts Barbecue. Sixth place, The Smoke Hunters. Seventh place, Crash Test Smokers. Eighth place, Bad Habit Barbecue. Ninth place, Shiggin' and Grinning. Tenth place, Rub My Rack. Rub My Rack. Congratulations to Stan and Tiny for moving on to the finals. Getting in there in a 10th spot doesn't matter if you're 1 or 10. If you're in between there or one of the bookends, you get to go to Bentonville. So as I had said, four hundredths of a point separates 1 and 2. Less than 2 points separates 2 and 3. Less than a point separates 3 and 4. 7 tenths of a point separates 4 and 5. Wow. This was a hotly contested regional final, but hey, as you move on through the ranks of the National Pro Barbecue Tour, contests get harder and harder. The next National Pro Barbecue Tour event will take place this coming weekend in Edmond, 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 Oklahoma. We have back-to-back regional finals coming up. Good luck to everybody competing. All right, so as I had been talking about the last number of weeks leading up to this past weekend, letting you know that, hey, if you were going to be around Hartville, Ohio on the 16th, stop by on Saturday. That was a Saturday. Stop by Hartville Hardware Store. By the way, it's the country's biggest hardware store. But not only is it the biggest hardware store in the country, and I'm trying to Think of an example to give you an idea of how big this place is, because if you've never been there, 
me giving you a verbal dissertation on what the setup is like is going to fail until you actually get there and see it in person. However, I can tell you this. There are full-size houses that are built in Hartville hardware store inside the store. That's how wide, that's how tall. There are full-blown size houses in Hartville hardware. So you can go in the store and then go right into a big house. That's how big it is. It's huge. It's the biggest in the country. Not only that, on their acreage, they have a big flea market slash marketplace in the back. And on the other side, they have at least regionally famous Hartville Kitchen, which is a restaurant. And then they're all you know doing in-kind business there. So this past Saturday, it was set up the second annual Grill Fest, 2017 Grill Fest. Last year, I took place as a participant in the rib cook-off. But about six or seven weeks ago, I was contacted by Catherine Merkel and Steve McMillan. And they said, hey, are you interested in being our MC for the day? And I was like, whoa, MC for the day. You know, I'd done a few hosting things, but never responsible for carrying the day's events and wasn't really sure on how, you know, what the expectation was going to be. But there were three live demonstrators starting at 10 o'clock. Now, there was a chicken competition going on out front. Then there was a separate tent where I was pretty much at doing all the live demonstration stuff. And the chicken competition was interesting because there were three separate divisions. There was the Weber gas grill division, eight of those. There were eight green, uh, big green egg competitors, and then there were eight Traeger wood-fired pellet grill competitors, so 24 in total. Each team was given three whole chickens to cook. Teams were showing up at like 7 o'clock in the morning, throwing their stuff on, getting their brine on, doing all this stuff. And loyal centralite, and it was great meeting him in person. John Solberg was there, made the four-hour trek down from Michigan to take part in this chicken contest. And I swung over, introduced myself to John, and it's like, it seems like this was eight fifteen, eight twenty in the morning, maybe eight thirty. Like, dude, it seems like people are have their chickens on already. He's like, yeah, some people already have their on, like for at least a half an hour. Like it's chicken. Turn-ins aren't until 2, 2 in the afternoon. So he had a, John had his program that he was running. was very proud of him. He ended up doing this, in my opinion, perfect IBCA style half chicken, great glaze, classic presentation on a kale bed. Thing was cooked to perfection, juicy as hell, tasty, just perfect. It was my highest dish. I didn't know it was him until later, but it was my highest score dish. There was a lot of medium to eh turn-ins, and a lot of that is on kind of the flexibility of that competition. So you could turn in legs that had one flavor and wings that had a different flavor and breast meat that had a different flavor all in one box. So while... The insane amount of turn-ins that you thought were going to be in there, so at least 24, right? 
for four judges. There were actually, at points, four samples in a box. So it wasn't like you were just having one piece 24 different times. You had to sample if they had wings and legs and thighs and breasts. You had to have a sampling of everything in the box. And then the most heavily weighted score was taste, but then there was also creativity and there was presentation. And as I had said, you know, a lot of stuff was average at best. But the highlight of the day was being an uh, MC, so I was kind of keeping it moving, interacting with the crowd, letting the crowd know about specials that were going on in a 3,000-foot burn center over in the store itself, and the, which carried all the lines of stuff, and they had representatives from all the manufacturers that were out there happy to answer questions and try and move product. You had the opportunity to win a free Traeger at the end of the day. They had great specials on the cookers that were being used in the event itself for the competition, the chicken competition. You could buy at a discount, pre-burned as it were. But one of the guests there was none other than Danielle Bennett, Diva Cute. And while she's been on this show a number of times, this was the first time, I think this is the first time in well over a decade that I'd actually seen her in person. But this is the first time I've actually gotten to work with her live. And she did whole chickens first in her first demonstration. And she basically took a whole pineapple, cut off the top, cut off the bottom, took out the meat, left the core, and then sat the bird right on it. So it was like beer can chicken, but it was on a pineapple core throne. And she uh, then instructed everybody on how, you know, what I forget what the, the stuff is in the pineapple, but it actually is going to make a juicier chicken and how it goes into the meat itself and makes for a juicy bird and all this other stuff. And let me tell you, no lie, when she was done with that thing, those chickens were just juicing all on their own as she was just kind of, and then she was just pulling it apart. But she is 100% professional, class act. We were interacting, as I had said in Facebook, it was like we were doing a live segment on my show. I'm asking questions that I think the studio audience is wanting to ask because nobody's really volunteering to ask any questions. A lot of great back and forth. It was absolutely fabulous. Uh, also had a lot of fun on the very first presentation of the day, which was Jason Jurgen. He was sick, a little under the weather, so he wasn't really feeling it. But put on a great presentation with his stuffed bread recipe that I'm going to have to be trying out. But it was an absolute blast working with Diva Q. She actually did a second presentation on pork belly burn ends and uh, pork belly satay. So we actually got to work together twice and then hosting the day. So all in all, a great win. Kind of rebooked already for next year. So looking forward to working with Catherine and Steve again over at Hardfield Hardware. So check them out if you're in the area. telling you, people come from all over to check that out. Once you see the campus, you'll understand what I'm talking about. All right, folks, grilling season is still going strong, and the place to head for all your barbecue and grilling needs is Butcher Barbecue. And certainly we know by now that Butcher's carries a great selection of barbecue products, but their portfolio of grilling items continues to expand as well. You've heard me talk about grilling oils for a while now. I truly believe these are the items that might change the way you cook forever. These items, shelf-stable, don't require refrigeration like a lot of the other items do. With grilling oils, all you have to do, leave them by the stove or take them out to the grill, use as needed. You won't forget because they're right there in front of your face. Need a butter kick? Use butter flavor. Want Chipotle or a steakhouse kick? They have those flavors as well, and here's how I use them. 
The flavors aren't aggressive, so you can build layers of flavor as you flip. And then when I take the steak or burger off or whatever protein, I just lay a thin little layer right over the top of that grilling oil before it hits the table. Perfect. Because they are shelf-stable, as I mentioned a couple seconds ago, they're never out of sight, out of mind. I mean, what is more pain in the ass than that? Drop money on some good stuff. You open it up only to see those terrifying words on the label, refrigerate after opening. Well, you put it in the refrigerator, it gets knocked back, it gets knocked back. Totally forget about it. You find it three months later and you're like, no, no, I can't believe I forgot about you. $12 bottle of sauce or whatever. Well, you got to throw it out. Forget it. Hate that. Hey, never resting on his laurels. Dave, always in the flavor lab, coming up with new stuff. The newest one out there right now is the Grilling Addictions Seasoning. I'm using it on everything, by the way. Loving it on everything as well. I'm not just saying that. It's actually really good. Lastly, dealers wanted, if you currently own a barbecue and grilling supply store, don't carry Butcher's Barbecue lineup, what are you waiting for? Hit up ButcherBarbecue.com right now. Request information on how to become a dealer for them. Not only will Dave thank you, your customers will reap the rewards by getting these fine products in their hands. These products extensively tested both in the backyard, on the competition trail. You know they are going to deliver the goods. That's right. Head on over to ButcherBBQ.com and check out all the products. You'll be happy that you did. That's ButcherBBQ.com. Always trust your butcher. Joe Pierce coming up out of the break. Stick around. We'll be right back. Show giving you a monthly visit from a doctor of barbecue, a man actually named Meathead, the author of a barbecue Bible, bloggers, reviewers, competitors, and manufacturers by the dozens. It's the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. Hey, welcome back. By the way, I'm remiss in not mentioning the fact that if you don't think that Butcher's Barbecue products aren't winning on the competition trail, just ask Dave. He took Grand Champion this past week. Isn't that right, Dave? Mr. Modest. This summer, Smithfield has partnered with the Ultimate Names in Grilling to bring you amazing prizes. All you have to do is get grilling. Just grill, share, and score. Smithfield Get Grilling is the place to go if you want to check it out. That's Smithfield Get Grilling. Follow their theme, grill it, upload it. You could win five grand in cash. You want some of that? I know I do. That's right. All right, my first guest in the second hour is not only an award-winning championship pitmaster, he is also, in my estimation at least, an award-winning restaurant owner in the heart of what some would consider to be the best barbecue in the country. I'm sure he would confirm that as well. Joe Pierce. From squeal like a pig or slaps, depending on how you like to say it. Joe, how are you, buddy? I am great, Greg. How are you doing? Absolutely buddy? fabulous. Appreciate you making time for the show tonight, Joe. And I guess before we get into the nuts and bolts of the competition stuff here, for the folks that may not be familiar with you or your competition team or your kick-ass restaurant or your Heinz barbecue sauce, a little background about you and, you know, considering where you live, it might be a stupid question, but how did you get into the whole barbecue scene? Uh, you know, we got into barbecue uh, at a young age. My dad really, you know, 
engraved into our lives that we need to cook outside and be a part of the outdoors and build a fire. And so I call myself a fire builder more than a, a barbecue because I just like being outside and, and building fires. But at the end of the day, uh, that turned into a passion for food. And if anybody's seen me, I'm a bigger guy. So I've, I've eaten everywhere and I've eaten everything and it doesn't bother me. And um, I'll try anything once. And so that kind of grew into a passion of, you know, cooking my own food and seeing how I can make stuff better. I'm very hands-on engineering kind of a guy. So I like to break things down and rebuild them and put them back together and figure out what's good, what's bad, what's not, and, and, uh, come up with some pretty good recipes. Was it restaurant first and competition or was it competition first and then restaurant? It was definitely yeah, competition first and then restaurant. You know, we probably jumped into the restaurant a little sooner than we wanted. Um, you know, I had this idea that, oh, I have to be this established barbecue team for years upon years and win everything that's ever been won and, and then open a restaurant. But, you know, with our, uh, with our, uh, exposure on pitmasters it would kind of just timed right to maybe try our hand in the barbecue restaurant business and it's uh blown up from there and uh every day has been a blessing and people keep showing up and eating our food so <laughs> i guess we're gonna keep going with it when did you get into the competition scene we started cooking competition barbecue 2012 2013 somewhere on there pretty seriously uh, i did a few before that just with some friends to go out and party and hang out and and uh Anything my brother and I do, we jump into uh, probably a little too deeply and we overcommit. And <laughs> the next thing you know, I'm buying smoker after smoker and $200 briskets and ruining them and, uh, you know, spending my time every weekend and every moment cooking barbecue outside of my porch and trying to perfect a craft. Were you in it with your brother right from the beginning? You guys always uh, a team, if you will? Yeah, yeah. My brother and I definitely, we started together and, uh, I, at the time, he probably had more of the resources to buy what we needed to buy. He was uh, making good money at a big company, and I was working at a church making mediocre money. And so I leaned on him to uh, pay for some of the stuff we wanted to do. But at the end of the day, you know, we both have that same drive and passion to to perfect whatever we're doing, and barbecue just happened to be it. You know, four years ago, competition barbecue did have a different face to it as far as what people felt like was required of them in order to be competitive weekend in weekend out fast forward four years to where we are now and it seems like it's very high quality this very expensive cookers motor homes all this other stuff and maybe i'm painting with a too big of a of a broad brush but i do think there is uh, that stereotype out there or that perceived hurdle to entry what do you remember it as when you got in and how do you see it now yeah, when we first, uh, our first contest ever was in North Kansas City, um, a great contest that's uh, no longer around, but we showed up with uh, a 15 passenger conversion van, a 20 foot U-Haul filled with crap, more stuff than we could have ever imagined to have to use. And we unloaded it all and we camped out on a, from Wednesday to Sunday and it was a production and you know, as I've seen barbecue grow, it's definitely become simpler. You know, I think uh, people have down downgraded as far as cookers and not bringing 15 cookers for, you know, four cook, four items. But uh, at the same time, you know, it's also becoming a little more luxurious. Like you said, there's definitely the some of the bigger teams out there that have the big rigs and the 40 foot trailers. I happen to be one of them. You know, I cook 
35 contests a year. I have, I have a big trailer. I like to be comfortable. I like to take a shower and, and, uh, you know, with the restaurant, it's good marketing for us. So that's kind of what we do. And, uh, you know, we dump our marketing into competition barbecue and we try to be one of the best teams in the country. Last two competitions, you've walked away with grand champion. I think we were talking offline three out of the last five, if we're factoring in American Royals as well. Pretty good run as of late, especially over the last two contests. Is there anything specifically that you're attributing success to, or is it just you're working a consistent program, you're hitting the marks, and judges are also finding your stuff equally as non-offensive as possible? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, we're we're – I would say I would consider what we do is nailing tenderness right now. You know, I've been very happy with um, where our tenderness is. You know, you can adjust flavor at the last second by throwing a little more sauce or rub or something on your meat. But tenderness has to be right. So, uh, you know, it's taken 24 contests, but I think we finally figured that out a little bit and uh, and, and four years. But, um, you know, I think we've been really happy with the the quality of food we've turned in lately and i'm not one who thinks i'm going to go into a contest win and win it you know i just want to hear my name called because it's good publicity for the restaurant and you know if we happen to get a few calls and and get hear a name called last we're super happy about it and i love it and i love putting a trophy in the window at the restaurant and i get to talk about that all week but at the end of the day it's uh it's about being out there and being with friends and cooking a contest and, you know, coaching younger teams who don't get to do this very often and maybe can't put the money into it that we put into it. And, and uh, just being out there and giving hope that, Hey, you can cook under tents, you know, for the first few years, like we did, and then upgrade to a trailer, then a bigger trailer. And next thing you know, you're going to hear your name called quite a bit. Joe Pierce joining me here on the show from squeal like a pig barbecue talking about his recent success here on the competition side, Joe, are you a, because of the restaurant, are you a little bit more chained to being within a certain radius of HQ or does it really matter? You can blow out wherever you want. Uh, I, I like staying in Kansas city. I'm pretty busy. I'm at the restaurant four days a week, some mostly five days a week, six days a week, depending on what I got going on. But, uh, you know, we, we travel as much as we can. We, we made it down to Bowling Green, Kentucky this year. Uh, last year we were in Lubbock, Texas. We go to Oklahoma, Iowa. We'll be in Denison, Iowa next weekend. Um, you know, so we try to, we tr I try to keep it in with a few hours. You know, if, if you start getting into the, like Lubbock was a 12 hour drive and, uh, I'm glad I did because we won the contest, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it worked out well, but man, coming home was, uh, was, was a bit of a grind and, and going back to work the next day was rough. So, uh, I, I cook anywhere I can, you know, my brother was out of town last two weeks. So we happened to stay a little closer than we usually do, but, um, you know, worked out well for us. We won two contests and we cooked Kearney, Missouri last weekend, which we've cooked, uh, the last four years. We really liked that contest and we'll probably go back every year. They have it. Joe, from a, uh, marketing perspective, are you able to track when you guys win a contest or finish really high up that does that correlate in the bigger sales at the restaurant or is it just keeping the name out there in some form or fashion so when they see Kansas City, Missouri, that if they get through that, oh, I saw that trailer, and then they go try and find you guys? It's definitely hard to contribute winning a contest to actually bringing people into the restaurant. But what we can do is track the, the metrics of how many people are visiting our Facebook page or website or Twitter, you know, social media verse. And, and uh, when we post about a – when, you know, we have anywhere between 
30,000 and 50,000 people see that stuff organically. And in the marketing world, I think one click or 90 clicks leads to a sale. So if somebody's clicking on our website, you know, so many times it's going to eventually lead them to be ingrained in their head that, Hey, come to slaps barbecue eventually. And, you know, I think Pitmasters and Heinz and all that stuff contributed to our success more than competition has ever done. Um, you know, being in a million homes and then with Heinz being on a commercial that's run on every major, uh, network, uh, really people from Florida, you know, Maine, Washington, all over the country came in saying, Hey, I was driving through cross country, had to stop here because I saw you on TV. And it's a very humbling thing to think, people are going to drive, you know, 20 hours out of their way just to come eat my barbecue. From a TV perspective, you said you were on Pitmasters. Did you just apply for that and you get on and and what was your experience like with that? Yeah, you know, we uh we were cooking a contest in Lee Summit, Missouri, and uh it was the contest where Barbecue Pitmasters was filming with Rod Gray, Rod Gray, um Stump and then Robbie Royal and uh, the producers for Pitmasters were coming around and saw our team name at the time was Squeal Like a Pig Barbecue. And so they said, hey, do you guys happen to be cooking a whole hog? And I said, uh, no, but if it means being on TV, I'd be more than happy to. <laughs> so we uh, we uh, drove down to our local butcher shop and grabbed a you know 60-pound pig, nothing big. And on our way back, the guy called me and said, hey, we're going a different route. Sorry, but you know I'll definitely uh, remember you if you guys ever send your audition tape in. And so I didn't think anything of it. And, uh, come October, November, the guy sent an email, Brian, I can't remember Brian's last name, but, uh, sent an email saying, Hey, uh, make sure you send your audition tape in. And so we did. (laughs) And, uh, we, I was working at a church and so I had a lot of time to invest into cameras and sound and, cool spots. And I had a buddy who is a professional videographer come in and shoot it for us and edit it. And so we made a pretty professional looking video. And, uh, within a couple days of some minute, they called and said, Hey, do you want to be on the show? And we said, absolutely. (laughs) It would be a blast. And, uh, we did and had some success and won a couple rounds and lost in the finale to, uh, to Robbie Royal by less than a point from what I understand. And, but skyrocketed the idea to we're able to cook barbecue professionally the rest of our lives and 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 that's what we've been doing and that was a tangible hit where you can see you in the final and then the next day and the next week you notice that there's a spike up because everybody wants to get a piece of you yeah we timed it with the finale the airing of the finale we opened the restaurant the next day and so uh yeah it was it was a mass push and uh, when we first opened, we'd sell out between one thirty and three thirty every day, and so it was cook as much food as we possibly can. And and when we are out, we're out. And uh, I think the first day we sold out in about an hour and a half. And the second day we sold out in about two hours, and then kind of progressively made it a little longer and a little longer. But uh, you know, it's been a crazy journey. My brother, myself, my mom were running the restaurant by ourselves for a year and a half, and then brought a strep our stepbrother in and. And now we have 26, 27 employees that drive me crazy sometimes, but I love them to death because they let me get to do what I love to do, cook competition barbecue and and keep our name growing. From the restaurant side of things, how does what you're serving, if I'm showing up in your restaurant, and I have, differ from what you're putting into the blind boxes and running on a weekend? You know, it it differs quite a bit. I would say ribs is probably the closest thing we do to competition. We rewrap every slab of ribs we cook and put honey and brown sugar in the foil and 
Uh, so they're pretty close. I probably don't put as much rub on there. And there's some other stuff I put in the foil, like, uh, uh, a, a specific peach honey and uh, a Texas pepper jelly in, in the ribs we do for competition. But at the restaurant, I'm not going to do that for 150 slabs. It's not very cost effective. Yeah. And so it's all about that bottom dollar there. So, you know, we have to cut a few corners on the competition side to make sure that we're, we're making enough money. And when we started, we had 35 seats in the restaurant. And so every penny that came in and went out was tracked. And so it was very important for us to make sure we weren't losing our rear ends uh, by cooking too good of quality food. And so we, you know, we, we were wrapping every brisket for the first, you know, about year. And then we got a big old hickory and kind of changed that style up. And I think our consistency just got so much better. The quality of food got better. And, and, uh, you know, we have some of the best burn ends in the city, the best ribs in the city, in my personal opinion. And, uh, you know, everything else is pretty damn good to say that, anywhere holding where you're at or if you were in texas and saying that or in the carolinas i mean you can say that in cleveland i mean nobody gives a shit you can say that in a lot of (laughs) other places because it's just not barbecue areas or meccas as i refer to them as but kansas city is and you have just one right after another that's really good a lot of them are really well known but yours is one that if you get on social media and say hey i'm going to be through kansas city for a day or two where should i go and eat I mean, if yours isn't in the first five that are thrown out by somebody that has either been through or is living there and you're friends with, I would be absolutely surprised. How are you able to, or what do you attribute to being able to be one of those first five kicked out? I mean, it's you, it's Joe's KC, it's Q39, it's Plowboys, and then they all kind of filter out from there. Uh, but, you know, that's kind of the list that I'm always hearing. It's not Gates and Arthur Bryant's. I mean, sure. big names, but, you know, from what I understand, kind of crap on the food at this point. But, you know, those four or five, I mean, th- those are always the ones that are there, and you guys are doing something right to be in that list, and everybody's saying it. Yeah, you know, the big thing for us is we cook a- as much fresh food every day as we can. So, uh, you know, brisket – pork and, and burn ends, they, they're 99% fresh. It's not something that's been cooled down, reheated, reused, rewarmed and put on a plate. Uh, it came off the smoker, hopefully the same day. Now being a business person, I, I can't justify throwing away, you know, three briskets at the end of the night or a pork buck at the end of the night, but you know, we'll, uh, we'll chop the brisket up and put it into beans. We'll, we know if the pork butts left whole, we'll use it for the next day. If not, we'll, we'll try to donate it to one of our, one of our organizations in town that help, you know, the homeless or needy families. But, uh, uh, that doesn't happen a whole lot because we've pretty, pretty well calculated that, okay, we need X amount of food to make X amount of money before we run out by eight o'clock or nine o'clock at night. And, and ribs, you know, chicken, sausage, burgers, all that kind of stuff is definitely cooked the same day. You're never going to get anything reheated or reused on that. It's, uh, it's all cooked hot and fast in the morning. And, and sometimes we cook it twice and, you know, because we run out and that's kind of our motto. There's not saying that there's restaurants that can't hold food. Well, we're just not one of them. I don't know how to do it, nor do I ever want to. We don't even own a microwave in the restaurant. And I, I don't even know how to use that besides warming up a hot pocket for my lunch one, a couple times. Joe Pierce joining me here on the show from Squeal Like a Pig Barbecue. Joe, where are you guys going to be competing at next? Uh, this weekend, we're driving up to Denison, Iowa, Tri-City Barbecue Fest or something like that. There's, uh, I think the last time I looked, I saw there was about 31, 32 teams, and uh, those Iowa guys definitely know how to cook barbecue. I mean, it's are ridiculous. You, are you surprised that Iowa is like, it's not even a sleeper cell of barbecue competition awesome? I mean, they're full-blown out there and 
kicking ass and taking names. There's no doubt. And uh, it's something probably they put in the water up there. I don't know. I'll have to ask Darren about it the next time I see him. But, uh, you know, they're definitely cooking well. I think, you know, I see those guys winning the contest every other weekend or every weekend. And, you know, we're just trying to put good food in the box and put the best food in the box and see what happens. Joe, if people want to check you out on the restaurant side, what's the best place to go to get info and where are you guys located at in the city? Yeah, so best spot to look at us is uh, our website, slapsbarbecuekc.com, uh, Facebook at Slaps Barbecue, and then we're located right in between downtown Kansas City, Missouri and downtown Kansas City, Kansas, uh, 553 Central Avenue. Come on down. Get there early. I hear we run out of food sometimes. Yeah, I heard that too. It's uh, Joe Pierce. Really appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for coming on. Absolutely, Greg. You got it. There he is, Joe Pierce. Yeah. A pitmaster extraordinaire, of course. All guests on the right. Barbecue Central yes, Show yes. appear via the Smithfield Hotline. Winning Yummy. three of the last five events. And as I was saying there, and look, I'm, I, I am homering for Joe a little bit because I, it, when I was taken to Kansas City, I mean, how many times would I ever get to Kansas City? Never. Get that big stuff out of here. Well, it just so happens that... During this past J.O. volleyball season, no names nationally ranked volleyball team headed to Kansas City for one of their national qualifiers, which they didn't qualify for. And I found myself in Kansas City for three nights. So Plowboys Barbecue was hit, and it was really good. And uh, Slaps was hit, and it was outstanding. And we did some other steakhouse and some team stuff that I didn't like. So my barbecue palate stretching out of this was a little held in check, but that's what happens when you travel with the team. But Slaps was absolutely fabulous. And as he said, you know, he's a little bit outside of uh, Kansas City, Missouri, uh, or right in the middle of between the two Kansas cities, I guess. And they, they do run out. The ribs are great. The burn ends are tremendous. I forgot to ask him what the name of that sandwich was. That was just, it has like sausage and oh, whew. turkey was good. Hush puppies were good. The mac and cheese was good. Come on. You gotta be kidding. That was Joe Pierce from Slaps or Squeal Like a Pig. A lot of Sing going on, a lot of sibilance. All right. Let me talk to you about a cooker you should take under consideration if you're looking to buy or add to the fleet. Here's the first bit of information I was talking about this Saturday. Don't live on one grill or cooker alone. Get multiple. Four, seven, eight. You'll find that you actually will use them all from time to time, but it's good to have certain cookers to do certain things. Everything's not made to do. They'll tell you they're going to do it all, in reality, eh, might not do it as good as you think they're going to do. That's why it's great to have multiple cookers. Why not consider the pit barrel cooker as one of those options? If you're looking for something that can add a large amount of cooking capacity to your existing fleet, the pit barrel cooker is one that can do it. Why? Because it does food hanging. That's right. It's like a stationary rotisserie. You can hang the food. It puts it right in the middle of the heat. So it's giving you some nice consistent heat that leads to nice consistent quality of the food now you'll think well if i'm hanging it the heat side that's closer to the fire that's going to get done a lot quicker than normal and it's 
probably going to char and burn and all this other stuff. That Nothing could be further from the truth. I don't know how Noah Glanville and the folks over at Pit Barrel Cooker have that figured out from a thermodynamic standpoint. But it does not do that. It's great from stem to stern. You can hang eight racks of ribs. Plus, if you're like any barbecue person that I know, you'll love accessories, and they have them all here too. They have cut-to-size charcoal chimneys, coffee mugs that look like little pit barrels, beer koozies that look like little pit barrel cookers, stainless steel rub shakers for their great rubs that they make, turkey hangers. Everybody loves doing turkey in the pit barrel. Real easy to use when you get it. Plus, $2.99, it ships for uh, it ships for free right to your door, and it's ready to cook up. Just unbox it, do a quick burnout in it, and you're off and running. Get that charcoal chimney going. They recommend briquettes, but you, I've done it with lump charcoal. It works okay, too. All you have to do is set that one-time vent adjustment, lock it in. You're ready to go. Build it, assemble. You're off and run. I can't talk about how simple cooking on the pit barrel cooker is that's why you got to find out for yourself again it's $2.99 $2.99 you can buy five and still have like a thousand dollars left over from buying a bunch of other pits out there anyway we're back with a beer expert coming up stick around we'll be right back continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rampey. Hey, welcome back. This segment is brought to you by the National Pro Barbecue Tour, presented by Sam's Club. 31 cities, 500,000 in cash. Plus, eternal bragging rights if you win the whole thing. This weekend, the 2017 Pro Barbecue Tour rolls to Edmond, Oklahoma for a regional final. That's two regional finals in a row if you're keeping score. To get more info on the tour, to check results, you can visit kcbs.us slash samstour. That's kcbs.us slash samstour. All right. Joining me now is somebody that loves beer. I love, well... I'm not going to go into the personal story on why I used to love beer and I don't love beer anymore. But nevertheless, some of us want to eat barbecue and some of us like to drink beer and some of us even like to make our own beer. But what if you aren't a beer nerd like me? No problem. I've reached out to one of the most prolific beer experts that I know who also happens to be a loyal centralite low these many years. Let's go ahead and race to the hotline and welcome Matt Boer to the show. Matt, how are you, buddy? Oh, oh, sorry. We're doing this now? Uh, we're live, everybody. Oh, hey, oh, sorry. put that beer down. All right, all right. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. Matt, you're also a competitive barbecuer as well, right? Um, uh, the, the guys from the FBA would tell you that I'm uh, uh, somewhat competitive at the most, maybe a little competitive and scare them every once in a while. Oh, okay, good. Well, you give it a, you give it a firm shake. Absolutely. I try my best and then realize that uh, I'm not as good as I really think I am sometimes. When did you realize you had an affinity for beer? Uh, Statue of limitations have expired. uh, (laughs) Right. uh, 
I had a Molson's when I was 12 years old at a high school party I was snuck into, and <laughs> I was probably the only kid that didn't actually spit it out. And um, I went on from there. But no, really, um, when I was in the Marine Corps is when I found out that I enjoyed beer. But when I got to San Diego, I figured that I enjoyed good beer. Molson Golden? Uh, yeah. Uh. And then it went to uh, Moosehead, which I don't even know if they make anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, that that was just it, it was whatever the high school kids could get a hold of at the time back then. Yeah, I think they call that your parents' beer. I think that's what they call it. Unless you had a really good fake, but I could never get my hands on a fake. I didn't drink in high school anyway, but that's another discussion for another day. No, uh, none of us did. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, n- no doubt. Um, so from a beer standpoint, and there's, I mean, there's so many. I don't, I don't even think like 15 years ago we probably couldn't even have this segment. It would be three minutes long but like with anything barbecue has evolved over a number of years now and there's you know all this stuff that we can I mean i'm doing a two-hour show once a week for the last 12 years on barbecue a beer is certainly no different it's been along uh, around much longer uh, than this show has been so from a from a beer standpoint if we can kind of high level it just to get indoctrinated into this tell me about like the most popular styles of beer and then perhaps more specifically the most popular styles of beer now all right well i pulled down some uh statistics for you which are pretty interesting even with the craft beer revolution that's going on right now the top five beers selling Mm -hmm. are in this order going from number five this one blew my mind mick ultralight really which is Basically drinking a Mick that's half full. It's like that Tropicana 50 commercial they have where she's like, it's got 50% less calories. It's also got 50% more water. I mean, like, I, it's okay. <laughs> it's a 4.2 light lager, and pretty much you're going to hear me repeat lager really quickly on yep. all these beers. Up right now for 2017 with last report, $631 million. Wow. That's number five. Number four, Bud Red. Bud Heavy, or what the people see on the regular coast is uh, Budweiser. Yeah. Or for the last summer, I think it was, was America. Yeah, America. Um, yep, that's an American, um, what they call an agile lager, and we'll cover that in a minute. That had 17, uh, $717 million. Wow. Miller Lite came in next. It's a 4.17 light lager, $899 million. Coors Light topped that, and uh, it's a 4.2%, which is your typical light beer. The light lager as well, $1.064 billion this year Whoa. reporting so far. Wow. Dwarfed, completely dwarfed by Bud Light <laughs> at 4.2% light lager, yeah. $2 billion already this year. What? Bud Light? Bud Light craft beer might be coming along, but Bud Light two point zero three one billion. Wow, and that's like way more than its cooler uh, older brother. Okay, so I'm going to tell you what I'm drinking tonight and what I drink in competitions because it's a light light beer, yeah. low calorie. Once it's ice cold, it goes down really cold, and it's a number six beer. And that's what everyone number thinks is beer. the beer pong beer, natural light, the natty light. Now I'm you. This uh, showing of the beer couldn't be more serendipitous to my next question, which I wasn't going to ask you about. But you'd mentioned Bud Light, and then I was like, "Oh, here's the question for the beer guy." 
There was a rumor going around when I was in college, so let's say mid-1990s, I graduated in 97, that uh, Bud Light, there was Budweiser selling great, and then light beer was coming into vogue quite a bit, so they put natural light out. Mm -hmm. But it didn't sell really well, so they took it off the shelves, and they took the label off, and they put Bud Light on it, and they repackaged it and threw it up on the shelves, and everybody saw Bud. They like Budweiser, and now it's selling like hotcakes. And then all they did was just redress natural light, stick it down on the bottom instead of up on the top where the eyes can see it, and it's Bud Light in a different can, but it's cheaper. There is an extremely, as per I can tell, and as per a lot of people in the craft beer industry, craft brew breweries, and everything else, we really want to get behind those closed doors, yeah. Because the the differential in taste is very minuscule at the most. We're not sure if that's from the canning, how they process it, or if it is a different recipe or not. I can tell you this: if you're drinking a light lager and you're throwing it into an ice cooler, or if you're putting it into your freezer, um, like I do, I, I take when I take cheap beers right before I drink them, put them a couple minutes in the freezer, get them yeah. as cold as they can be. I, I my craft beer, that's a totally different thing. We're going to do a different – we said we're going to do a different segment on the, later yep. in the future about craft beer yep. and why you drink that at a different temperature. But American light lagers are meant to be drinking cold, as cold as you can get them, as crisp as you can get them, and you can't tell the difference. Now, between a Coors Light, which is a higher wheat content, so you do get a different profile, mm-hmm. a Miller Light, which has a more malty content, it's a sweetness, but between Natty Light and Bud Light – it's so minuscule that I would have to agree with you. It's it's probably darn close to the same beer. And you're saving some cash when you're buying the natural light. Oh, seven bucks a eighteen pack, I think. Wow, that's that's my kind of beer. I like small money, large quantity. I like that's, uh, Jenny. That's what you really refer to as a session beer. Yeah, session beer. So I like Jenny White Can. I like Natural Light. I like Pabst, which I guess is. Somehow considered a craft beer, if I'm not mistaken? Uh, because it's a hipster beer. Oh, okay. Um, and then there's another beer that I'm not uh, remembering right off the top of Rolling my head. Rolling Rock? Uh, no, nah, I'm not a real big fan of Rolling Rock. I'm, I don't hate it, but I don't. But, I mean, people give me hell because I, I'll, oh, Bush Light Draft in a can. I love it. Okay. I don't know why. I don't know if you remember, there, there was one that came out called South Paul Light, which was the only one when everyone went to Long Necks. They actually stuck with the short necks. They had the little stubby bottles. No, I don't it remember would, that. Oh, it was uh, right around the 2000s. It literally was the only bottle you could get in the stubbies. It was awesome. The only stub bottle I ever remember seeing was Mickey's. Uh, you know, you're referring to the grenades with the wide mouths, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Mickey's Big Mouth or Mickey's oh, Wide yeah. Mouth or whatever they call it. Yeah, yeah we always refer to them as grenades because they actually had like a grenade <laughs> pattern around the outside and and some of us, after maybe they might have had a 12-pack or so, thought it would be a great idea to throw them like grenades. Yeah. Well, that's Never what a good idea. malt liquor will do that to you, no doubt about it. Um, all right, that's- Matt Boer joining me here on the show. So let's talk about uh, lager and pilsner and some of these other things, and then maybe we can also hit on, as you had said, like a hoppy flavor or a weedy flavor and what those profiles actually feel like in your mouth. Okay, we'll, we'll go through the real simple process of brewing, and that'll bring you through the lagers and the ales. Uh, first off, you have the malting, which is where you take your grains and your barley, your malts, your wheats, and you actually dry them out. 
And it, it's one of those weird things that for barbecue, it's almost like turning your meat into jerky before you turn it back into barbecue. For some reason, the best way this works, when you take the, the grains, you have to turn them into a dry grain before you rehydrate them. And that's in the mashing. It's when you heat them up, you rehydrate them to release the sugars. The sugars are extremely important because sugars is what yeast eats to make alcohol. So when you have the grain and you, you actually get it, it's called a wart, which I really hate the term. I didn't get to pick it. And then you, you heat it up, but you don't boil it. Then once you boil it is when you start adding your hops, your additives, everything else, your flavors. And that's where you start to really make what you're actually producing. From that point forward, you have fermentation. Fermentation is where you add your yeast. And that's where you actually start turning the sugars into alcohols. That's where you differentiate between ales and lagers. Lagers are lagered, an old German term, for cold fermentation or cold storage. We're not talking about in a freezer. Coors Light likes to say that theirs are cold fermented, but it's only to a certain temperature. Or you would kill the yeast. Um, right. It's more cave-like temperature. Your basement, somewhere a little colder. Where ales are room temperature, a typical house. Then from there, very simply, you have two cases going from there is aging. You can either bottle age or you can age inside of a fermentation tank and let it age and then bottle it. And then you don't have to add CO2 to the ones you're going to bottle age. But all the domestics are CO2 added as they're bottled because they don't let them sit. They CO2 add them and they ship them off. Right. That brings you up to pretty much the typical bottling process. And like I said, the big difference between lagers and ales is how they're let to mature. Lagers are cold matured. Ales are, are hot matured. And they're a little bit crisper. It's done quicker. It doesn't have that like red wine characteristics that sit longer versus a white wine that's you know, quickly made. Matt, um, so that brings us up there. <laughs> When you talk about uh, different flavors of uh, multi or hoppy, obviously the brewer is uh, on purpose making that happen in your mouth, or that's the the profile that he's looking to get. But like, what is? How does that actually saying it is one thing, but having a a way to recognize that in your mouth is another. How do you do that? Um, okay, the the best way to describe the hoppiness or what they call the international bittering unit IBU is a dryness in your mouth. Um, the the best way to describe it to a champagne, uh, uh, to a wine drinker is champagne, where as you're drinking it, you have this dryness in your mouth, like little bitterness. It's not a bad bitterness, but you do have a little bit of dryness in your mouth. And that's what's being caused by the hops. Hops are used to preserve the beer, but they're also used to give the beer flavor. Uh, American pale ales like Sierra Nevada, um, even Sam Adams Boston Lager, has a large, or England has a larger hop profile than a lot of beers, and that's where you get that little bit of, it. it's bitter, but it's not that. That's the flavor you're tasting is the hop flavor, and that's great for preserving the beer and giving it a longer shelf life, but it's also for giving it a, a beefier beer flavor, a beefier characteristic. From a popularity standpoint, the, the beers that you had just mentioned, obviously just in gross sales is kind of... Uh mind-blowing but those lagers and ales and pilsners 
are by and large the most popular beers currently or not so much? The the light lagers are currently the most popular. They're the most palatable by the average population. Um, I do frequent a local brewery. They're, they're a great brewery. Um, and when people walk in, we, we have a tough time when they walk in and say, what do you like? I like Coors Light. Well, what else do you drink? Well, that's all I drink. It's going to be tough for you to, to venture into the craft beer world if all you've ever experienced is a light lager because a light lager is a watered-down beer, which is a true style, especially in England. They have um, what they what they have at lunch. It's a light lager. It's a much lower alcohol content. It's meant to have a couple, one or two at lunch and go back to work. And if that's all you're used to having, it, it's tough for me to introduce you into another style and bring you along. Um, if you had walked into the style of a Sierra Nevada, which is very popular, or a Guinness, I can tell you where to go from there. So let's say I'm like the majority of people that like Coors Light or like Bush Light Draft, and that's all my palate's really ever known. But now I want to really explore because, you know, there were any number of years between 20 and 30 where I really wanted to like wine a lot, and I would try it, and I just couldn't okay. dig it. But every seven years or every 10 years, you change, the body change, the palate change. Well, believe it or not, at 30 years old, I took a sip of red wine, and I was like, this is good. I like it. And then my love affair with wine started to grow, and 13 years later, you know, I really like it. So if you're a person that wants to broaden the palate, uh, you being the expert, how do you take me down that road to start getting my mouth ready to accept the new flavors that I'm not going to be ready for? Okay, you are either the best thing you do is go to one of the local breweries and put yourself in their hands. They will always have at least one introductory style. It may be what they call a Saison, which is a sour wheat um, beer, but they're going to do it on a low standard of let's get you in the door and, and let you learn it. Or they're going to do a pale ale with a very low um, IBU, very low bitterness, and low alcohol content. But they, most good breweries will typically have a low entry-level beer for the average consumer walking in because they do know their market. They do know that, yes, they are a beer snob market, and that's where they're going. But they do have his friend. His friend typically drinks Bud Light, Coors Light, whatever. So they have to find something to go for that person. So what they do is they do brew typically one cream ale, um, Heffenweizen, Marzipan, which is something you've been – Familiar with, you've seen Shock Top, you've seen uh, Blue Moon, you've had those before. Yep. They weren't so bad. You know, you're like, okay, Bud Light, I get this. I've had a Shock Top, it's not so bad, I can do that. So they can bring you over to that. Or one of the best ones ever that's really easy to transition to is, have you ever had a Guinness? No. You've never had a Guinness, Greg? No, it looks gross. I oh, that, that ruined my argument. Matt, but I eat most, with my most, eyes. But most beer drinkers, you drag them out on St. Patrick's Day, you, you yeah. make sure they have a Guinness. You're like, you have to have one Guinness. Yeah. So when you go in the breweries, they give you a stout. And a stout is a coffee-rich, you know, flavored beer. And you're like, oh, okay, well, now I get the craft beer thing. This is pretty good. I, I get it. And then you'll widen your palate. Now, the better way to do that sometimes is to start yourself at home. Start with a uh, Samuel Adams Boston Lager which is a hoppier version of what you're used to. Mm -hmm. A Yingling, the oldest brewery in America. It's slightly hoppier and a little bit stronger than what you're used to, but it's not 
a train wreck compared to what you're used to. Correct. You want to look for a low IBU, low ABV beer. Those two terms shouldn't be scary. It's international bittering units and alcohol by volume. If you're an alcohol drinker, like a liquor drinker, alcohol yep. volume is one half what you're used to for the proof. Right. So 50 percent uh, alcohol is a hundred percent or is a, a hundred proof. Yes, and if you see a beer that far, stay far, far away. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I mean, what's I've your... gotten up to sixteen yeah. percent, and that was a train wreck. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, Matt Boer joining me here on the show, my Barbecue Central show beer guru. Uh, Matt, I think we're good here. So next segment, we'll really start to dig into more of the craft stuff, and then we'll actually start to do uh, pairings of beer as well so we can uh, be the, the beer world for the wine world kind of a thing. Absolutely. I just want to tell you one thing. I was supposed to have something special tonight. Yeah. I, I, I showed up empty. <laughs> what is I that? went by my brewery. They yeah. were supposed to have wet hops for me. Ah. Wet hops is very exciting for beer geeks. Yeah. They can only brew with them immediately when they get them. It was delivery is supposed to be today. It's supposed to be. It will come in tomorrow. I not only I'm gonna I'm gonna try to cook with those and see what happens. All right. Well, we'll uh, look forward to that report uh, next month. Thank you, Greg. All right. Thanks, Matt. Matt Boer, Barbecue Central Show beer All guests expert. on the Barbecue Central Show appear right. via the Smithfield Hotline. I'm in trouble right now. I can tell you that. Uh, Cook Shack manufactures smoker ovens for barbecue lovers with any amount of barbecue experience, whether you barbecue in the backyard, the competition circuit, or in a five-star dining facility. Cook Shack has the unit that will do the job and do it well. They strive to be your barbecue resource center by offering smoke and grilling one-on-ones, a video cooking classroom. Check out CookShack.com or follow them on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Pinterest, to Google+. They also have pellet-fired smokers like the FEC100 and PG1000. Cookshack Residential Electric Smokers are the number one smoker in the industry. High quality means high durability and versatility. Anything you can make in your oven, you can make in a Cookshack. Passion and dedication drives Cookshack's manufacturing with quality always being at the forefront. Get the best in barbecue since 1962. Call 800-423-0698 or visit their website, cookshack.com. We're back to wrap the show right after this. Stick around. Whole packers, full racks, legs and thighs, injecting butts. If you've never heard this before, you might think you found the best triple X show ever. Let's get back to the most homoerotic host out there today, Craig Rimpy. All right, welcome back. We are racing to make sure we get out on time here, so uh, give me one second. All the way back in the first hour, we talked with Stephen Reichlin. We then talked with Brett Galloway from the State Cook-Off Association, getting an update there on the recent events that have taken place over the last three weeks, and then looked ahead to what's coming up in the second hour. Joe Pierce from Squeal Like a Pig Barbecue. If you're going to be in Kansas City, check him out. Right in the middle between Kansas City, Missouri, and Kansas City, Kansas. Great burn-ins. Oh, the ribs are great, too. All the food's good there. And then we ended with beer expert of the Barbecue Central Show, Matt Boer we got a great show lined up for you next week already, believe it or not. September 11, 2001, I will never forget. And until next Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, this is your program host and proud U.S. American, Greg Rempe. Good night now.